listening to the Reformand Initiative podcast, where we analyze and discuss Roman Catholic theology and practice from an evangelical perspective. My name is Clay Kennard, and I'm joined here in the city center of Rome with my brothers and colleagues, Dr. Leonardo de Chirico and soon to be Dr. Reed Carr, we hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As we mentioned on our last episode, Reed's, <laughs> Reed's working on his PhD. So if you prayed for him, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, but we've got a, a, another episode today where we're going to discuss uh, a Vatican file again. Uh, today is actually May 2nd is when we're recording this. And so yesterday, as usual, right on time, Leonardo's latest Vatican file was published. Uh, and it should be a very helpful and interesting topic. And I'll, I'll pass it over to you, Reed, so you can uh, describe why that is. Yeah, thanks, Clay. Uh, it, it's, it's helpful, I think, and hopefully our listeners will find it interesting and informative. Um, it, it's a discussion that should be familiar to the Reformant Initiative and our listeners. It has to do with the nature-grace interdependence that we discussed for the first time way back in, I mean, one of the first three episodes, probably, probably either episode two or three, and have uh, spoken about it uh, since. And it's, so, it's extremely important because it forms one of the, it's part of the backbone of the Roman Catholic theolog- theological system. We always talk about Roman Catholicism as a theological system and not a, uh, a theology that can be broken up into many different aspects and, uh, and, and then put back together in a way that we find fit. But mm. it, it, it stands on these theological pillars, and without them, uh, the entire theology of the Roman Catholic Church crumbles. And one of those is the nature-grace interdependence. And in case, and in case some of our um, listeners are new, we will have it'll, it'll be helpful just to give a brief summary of what that is and what that means and why it's important. But today, what we want to do is is discuss uh, what uh, Leo writes about in his most recent Vatican file, which is kind of a historical trajectory of of that interdependence. Uh, we always talk about uh, Vatican II, and um, rightly so, and. Roman Catholicism in light of Vatican II, which is absolutely necessary uh, when we talk about modern-day Roman Catholicism. But it is, it is also in, important to to understand that this nature-grace interdependence did not originate in Vatican II. Mm. It's kind of the historical trajectory of the Catholic Church, and it's always helpful to to know that and to understand how it got to where it is today. And so in this, in this um, article, Leo discusses that historical traje- trajectory uh, coming up to contemporary times. And I believe next month will it be the more contemporary discussion of that, Leo? Or yes, okay. yes, hopefully so. Okay, yeah. so we'll be able to discuss the more contemporary uh, development of that and the debate that has occurred recently uh, on, that, on that topic. But just like it is important for an evangelical to understand its historical roots, uh, and to know that it's just not some modern invention. Yeah. Um, that's with almost any theological doctrine is to understand its historical roots and trajectory, which gives you a better understanding of it and an appreciation from it for it, depending on what you're discussing. But I, I want to start this discussion in the same way that Leo uh, starts his Vatican file. And it's, it's interesting to note how the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is a, is a pretty big book, um, that came out in 1992 is a collection of uh, of all of the Roman Catholic teachings on on various doctrines. Uh, it was in the papacy of J- Pope John uh, II, and uh, very helpful for understanding Roman Catholic theology. But in in Part One, Section One, Chapter One, mm. the title of that is "Man's Capacity for God," mm. and that's a loaded statement, a loaded theological statement with 
humongous implications, no man's capacity for God, which sets a trajectory. It sets a foundation for the entire discussion, which follows and the entire development of Roman Catholic theology, how you understand that what is man's capacity for God sets your theological trajectory on everything, sin, salvation, your understanding of Christ, uh, his atoning work on the cross, everything. And uh, Leo writes, starts his article article off saying, the 1992 Catechism of the Catholic Church begins with a section interestingly entitled Man's Capacity for God and deals with the foundational issue, and here's what it deals with, which is key, of whether or not men and women are naturally open to God and recipients of His grace. That's why this discussion is so important. If when we talk about man's capacity for God, the, the response is, yes, man is naturally open open to God and to receiving his grace, that sets you on a specific trajectory. If your response is no, he is not naturally open to that due to sin and what Hmm. the devastating effects of that or that of that are, that sets your theological trajectory. Baleo highlights that the answer, the Roman Catholic answer to that question is a resounding yes. Hmm. Yes, man is naturally even in his sinful state, open to God's grace and receiving it. Yeah. Oh, well, Reed's looking at me smiling like, what are you thinking, Clay? <laughs> and the reason is because I'm sitting here looking at Romans chapter three. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Which yeah, we, yeah. We can come back to later yeah. if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, for, for sure. So, and, and that's where, that's where we're, that's where the nature grace interdependence comes from is how this relationship between nature and grace. So before we get into kind of how that developed historically. Uh, Leo, could you give us a, a brief summary of what is the nature-grace interdependence and why is it so important? Yeah, it's one of the two axes of Roman Catholic theology that uh, sets the stage for the whole uh, structure and of Roman Catholic belief. And uh, as you rightly said, um, there is the assumption that uh, uh, man and by man, it is men, men and women, mm-hmm. the human being, the human person, the human persons are uh, naturally endowed with this uh, openness towards God. And uh, in, in, in so, uh, in affirming such a statement and belief and conviction, um, the whole uh, impact of uh, sin is uh, undermined or overlooked or minimized, not in the sense that it is totally uh, not recognized. There is a Roman Catholic doctrine of sin and quite a a complex and and, and, uh, uh, articulated one. But in the end, this ontological statement, man is capable of God, man is um, open to God, remains and is maintained uh, despite the consequences of sin. Um, And out of that openness, which has not been undermined, let alone destroyed by sin, uh, what comes after that um is uh, 
dependent on it. So grace is seen as something that you receive, but you are inherently capable of receiving it, responding to it, collaborating with it. And uh, the whole um, framework of uh, Christian belief is then given a specific uh, direction away from the historical, biblical ground motive of us as being, uh, having been created in the image of God and in a sense uh, we were in that state of being capable of God or capable to be open to God um, in Adam, as the historical Adam. But then sin intervened, and that capacity was um, broken. Yeah, and, the and, Catholic word yeah. they use in the, repeatedly is wounded. Yeah, yeah, but Which wounded, is, yeah, is a, is a metaphor taken from mm-hmm. the the language of the body, and which uh, maintains the fact that uh, you are you are weakened, you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, wounded, there is something wrong, but not at the expense of uh, having been having lost <clears throat> the natural capacity. It is maybe less pronounced, less perform performative, but uh, still there. Whereas in the uh, historical biblical ground motive of creation, sin, and then redemption. Uh, the importance, the gravity of sin uh, implies that uh, that openness is no longer there unless God reopens it from his side and ultimately sending his son to reopen it. But on our part, that capacity is lost. We are as Clay said in Romans 3 and Ephesians 1 and multiple other, other biblical texts, we are fallen, we are dead. That's a metaphor. That is not the metaphor of wounded or a little um, scratch, but it's a mortally poisoned dead uh, kind of metaphor. There's um, a metaphor uh, working on... Um, uh, kind of studying this doctrine of sin in Roman Catholicism now for our conference this summer. And uh, a metaphor that explain, I think it's helpful here, is that if you think about a soldier who's in battle Mm. and he's wounded in battle, depending on the gravity of that wound, he can still continue to fight and maybe even defeat his enemy, depending on the gravity of it. Um, And this is a similar way of how sin impacts uh, nature in Roman Catholicism, it wounds it, which is, which, which means that yes, it's affected by it, but it still has its capacity to perform its function. Yeah. Whereas the more reformed tradition says that that soldier is killed in battle and is totally incapacitated yeah. and needs something to revive that life. Yeah, it's about regeneration. regeneration. The language of the Bible exactly. is regeneration, new birth, which implies that there is no life, spiritual life. Before, unless and until God re, re, uh, reignites mm-hmm. uh, the life there that is no longer there. So the language of the Bible is clear. Regeneration, new birth, 
instead of just uh, curing and and uh, healing. That's also part of the biblical metaphors, but uh, grounded on that uh, foundational truth that in as a, in Adam we we were all created and we all sinned to the point of losing our our spiritual life, our spiritual capacity for God, unless God reestablishes it. You mentioned really helpfully in in your article how that, and you've kind of hinted at it here, but this distinction between the Roman Catholic understanding of nature and grace and sin Mm. and creation, uh, because when you talk about, when we talk about nature, obviously that is including everything in the created order, which which mankind is is included, uh, but that differentiates from the uh, reform tradition uh, where you see a distinction between creation, sin, and redemption. But in Roman Catholicism, nature uh, and sin are incorporated. Yeah. What it, how, does, how, how can we understand that in a more simplified yeah, way? Yeah, because, because uh, sin is a wound. Right. It is not something radical that has... Um, undermined, um, has uh, totally um, changed and broke, um, broken uh, creation. So it is. it becomes part of it. Our, our wounded nature is still open to God. So it's not, sin is not given that fundamental weight in the Roman Catholic um, framework. And so it is included rather than being considered <clears throat> as an important uh, step of this uh, ground motive. So the, we have creation, sin, redemption. The Catholic Church has nature, grace. So nature, sin is part of, has become part of nature, but not undermining its inherent openness. Mm-hmm. And in in, do, in in so doing, it uh, swallows, mm-hmm. in a sense, uh, sin into nature, not recognizing the importance of sin in destroying, in uh, breaking, in um, overturning the 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 natural right. order. You use a helpful a helpful word in uh, your article, saying how nature. And, and within the Roman Catholic system, since nature and, and sin are, are together, because there you have the nature grace as opposed to creation, sin, and redemption. So nature is naturally receptive yeah. to grace, whereas in Roman Catholicism, which is, is a very powerful uh, or weighty, weighty term, that it, it naturally receives it, whereas uh, according to the Reformed tradition, it naturally rejects it yeah. in, its, yeah. in its devastated state. Yeah. It's no, there's no, there's no receptive connectivity there. That no, that line no. was broken. You no. think of a telephone line or something. How a signal can still be received even if it's been damaged a little bit. Even in the uh, evangelical reform tradition, there is the recognition of the importance of common grace. The fact that God, in His goodness and kindness, uh, bestows His grace in order for created life to function, even if uh, threatened by the evil consequences of sin. But uh, that doesn't mean that we are naturally a recipient of his salvific grace, of his uh, special grace. That is something that 
was lost in um, in the Garden of, e- of Eden by uh, Adam, our representative, and uh, uh, the only hope for us to restore that openness is through the new Adam, uh, Jesus Christ. That is something that is not fully appreciated by Roman Catholic theology, which which still thinks that uh, as created being beings, we have residual openness to grace, and uh, out of that uh, openness, God then uh, infuses His grace. Uh, but pres- uh, presuming and, and and infusing that grace in that capacity that is still there, mm. so not regenerating, not bringing new life, but just using the the means and the tools that are already there and are still there. So that uh, creates a very different um, framework for the whole of the Christian message to be understood and uh, uh, appreciated. Well, that's a good summary of the nature-grace interdependence, and hopefully... If you're listening, the implications of that are very clear. Again, we were talking about mm. how this sets a foundational trajectory for all of theology and, you know, again, on the doctrine of sin, which we can discuss yeah. in more detail soon, uh, the doctrine of soteriology, how we're saved, um, Christ's atoning work on the cross, et cetera, et cetera. That's not the time to discuss this now, but how, how, help us to understand how the Catholic Church arrived at that understanding. Again, it wasn't just something that... It came about recently. It's part of its historical narrative. Um, where do we start, and where does it start, and how do we get to where we are? Yeah, well, that, that's that's part of the uh, and the, the content of the article mm-hmm. that tries to summarize, you know, a long and at times complex uh, historical trajectory. But uh, <clears throat> in a in a in a in a nutshell. Uh, I think we should be aware of the some confusions uh, in the early fathers, talking about grace, talking about nature, but oftentimes talking about uh, nature and grace as um, um, applicable to uh, people who were already Christians. So thinking about how grace works in our already Christian life. So... We're open to grace because we are Christians. And that, that is something that needs to be taken into account. Uh, most, uh, oftentimes the fathers were not talking about men and women in their natural uh, Adamitic state as uh, implying opposition towards God or against God, but they were talking about men and women as already Christians and therefore grace impacting their lives and them being open to grace. That was a confusion, that that distinction not always being clearly defined. And uh, thinking about the then majority Christianity, Christendom, that uh, came out of the Constantinian era, uh, theologians began to think about uh, humanity as naturally Christian. Mm. And so thinking about men and women as 
already Christian because they would belong to a Christianized um, world. And that the issue of sin becoming more and more um, less um, underlined as the radical problem of humanity as such. And uh, uh, that was the, the confusion that led to the, the growth of this nature, grace, independ- interdependence. Um, the, the, the loss of this confessional view of Christianity, whereby Christians are the believers in Christ, not necessarily those who are baptized, not necessarily those who are born into a Christian environment, but the believers in Christ. Once that distinction was no longer properly uh, defined, then <clears throat> the issue of nature and grace became a continuum, uh, and the uh, problem of sin um, was gradually um, put on the periphery of their attention. And, uh, and then, of course, <clears throat> you end up with the great systematizer or the great systematizers of the Middle Ages when uh, this whole trajectory finds a, um, a presentation that is um, much more clear and uh, uh, defined than in previous generations, in previous uh, centuries, where the fathers were blurring categories, were confusing. At times, they, they, they had ambiguities in their thought. But when it comes to the Middle Ages, um, Bonaventura of Bagnoregio and Thomas Aquinas, Albert the Great and others, they... <clears throat> um, uh, categorized uh, this interdependence into uh, well-defined uh, concepts, nature and grace. And sin was lost, swallowed in nature at that point. And the, the whole system was then uh, twisted into leading to a very different direction. In the uh, And you, you speak about the patristic age at the kind of start your trajectory there no what would be some important names of these early you mentioned early church fathers who would have been important names in this discussion yeah Irenaeus Irenaeus um, Augustine with many good points of course and uh, but oftentimes still beginning to think in terms of a majority type of Christianity and not distinguishing between uh, the natural man, um, a sinful man separated from God and the Christian man uh, in a state of grace because they were um, uh, working and operating in a time when Christianity was becoming majority, they would not always uh, distinguish between uh, the natural man and the Christian man. And, uh, and then in the East, the, the Cappadocians, and uh, <clears throat> um, they, they continue to work with that, that assumption that when they talked about nature, they were talking about 
Christian nature uh, as applied to anthropology, rather than distinguishing the nature in Adam and the nature in the new Adam. That's key. If you if we lose that distinction, we end up in uh, a very a bigger confusion. You, we we add confusion to confusion. So they 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 Augustine had this idea of a uh, biblical idea of the depravity of man, the, impo- the, the radical uh, impact of sin. So there were hints and, and, and important uh, discussions there, but not to the point of changing the trajectory to becoming, to, to realizing the crucial importance of distinguishing between creation, sin, redemption. But that creation-sin distinction was... Um, in a way, blurred to the point of making the two one. Did Augustine tend to blur that as well? I know he had, a, like you said, he had a better idea of the depravity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was, he was, he was quite clear on okay, that. Okay. Uh, the 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 gravity of sin, the fact that we are uh, humanitas damnata, damned humanity. Mm-hmm. That's what humanity is. Not in open to God, but actually close to God, and uh, terribly so, unless grace uh, opens it up. In you know, uh, so he he was, but but the the the, the main trajectory did not did not uh, take uh, uh, the Augustinian right. point uh, to the. Um, to change to change the the, the direction that he was uh, he was taking instead it took aquinas's thomas aquinas's it took understanding this blur uh, progressively blurred a view of nature and sin to the point where then the uh, the, the the scholastics <laughs> they they then uh, outlined a whole system at that point the system had solidified up to that point, uh, the fathers were using the patristic and the early Middle Age fathers were using uh, ambiguous terms uh, at best. But it was the scholastics who actually then came up with a theory, with a fully defined theology. And uh, that has become the standard uh, Early modern, modern, and contemporary um, position of the Catholic Church. So, the Catholic Church, just to be clear, as far as Augustine, it, it adopted his understanding of sin in the in the sense that it is uh, inherited. Yeah. He also Augustine also taught on the depravity, but that did not inherit that aspect of his of his understanding and teaching of sin, but more and adopted the scholastic. I mean, that was built on what you've already. Yeah, yeah. August. The, 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 the limit of Augustine was that he had a he had a biblical doctrine of sin, but then he had uh, he had he had uh, confused idea ideas on how then grace comes to us uh, because he was, you know, living in an age where Christianity had become largely majority. Uh, he had this idea that through baptism, that regenerating power of God would occur. Mm-hmm. And so all the baptized people were Christians, whereas this is not, not the case. I mean, he had 
a, a, a biblical doctrine of sin and uh, uh, important aspects of uh, a biblical doctrine of grace, but then the this idea of uh, baptism as regenerational and the church as the sacrament of it um, confuse this system in, in various ways, less so than other fathers, because he had a view, a strong view of sin. Uh, but it, 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 the Reformation was needed in order to, in a, in a sense, uh, set Augustine straight and and re re uh, direct the whole Christian trajectory into uh, re re appreciating the biblical categories and the biblical ground motif of creation, sin, redemption. Is it, is it fair to say, and we'll conclude with this, uh, obviously so much more could be said on this, but uh, your article will be a good starting point for our listeners to go to and, and learn about this historical trajectory of this important uh, concept in Roman Catholicism. But is it is it fair to say as, as the Roman Catholic Church of today looks back historically, is there a a particular figure uh, that would be the most important to them? Well, uh, Thomas Aquinas mm-hmm. is the great uh, Roman Catholic scholastic who um, defined, solidified, cleared, um, clarified uh, the the whole nature grace. And out of Thomas, uh, there's there have been many readings of Thomas and uh, many versions of Thomism, but basically all revolving around that um, account given by Thomas. And even present-day discussions, they still um, wrestle with, with, with Thomas in one way or another. But after Thomas, that's the, tra- the trajectory of the Catholic Church. And it's helpful as a last comment to, to keep in mind when we talk about Thomas uh, Aquinas, the scholastic or the scholastic theologians. Of course, the scholastics were um, those theologians who tried to marry um, reason yeah. and philosophy with theology. Uh, and Aquinas, for example, was greatly influenced by the philosophy of Aristotle. Some were um, influenced by Plato more, but so that certainly impacted and yeah. you know shaped their theological convictions that have been adopted uh, largely today by the Roman Catholic Church. And you said just a moment ago that uh, in the 20th century we've seen a significant theological debate over this exact interpretation of Thomistic understanding, and, and I think maybe you'll you'll elaborate more on that in the next article. Is yeah, that correct? yeah, 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 good willing, yes. We'll hopefully discuss that. But So anyway, yeah, it's a, thank you for your article, Leo, and, and again, we're always helpful to understand these historical trajectories so we understand where we are and how we arrived at, at the points where we find ourselves. So um, we appreciate it and look forward to the next one. Thank you, Reed, and thank you, Leo. Um, we really appreciate this continued work uh, and the research that's taking place. We pray that it will benefit our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world uh, in the evangelical uh, body. So um, you can find this article on vaticanfiles.org. Uh, there's also a form on the website. You can subscribe to the newsletter so that every month on the first of the month um, at 6 a.m. in the morning, 
uh, at least Rome time, you will receive this new article. So please get that, share it. I hope that it benefits you. And if it does, let us know. Tell us about uh, how this ministry is blessing you and equipping you to understand Roman Catholic theology and to engage Roman Catholics with the gospel. As usual, uh, share our podcast, leave us a good review, uh, and follow us on social media at on Twitter at Reformanda Rome and on Facebook at Reformanda Initiative. Until next time, God bless.